from WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. And this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, we'll find out from former Mayor Verge Bernero why he chose to speak out in the case of an inmate's death in the Lansing City Jail. First, though, Election Day is just two days off. So as we have done weekly for several months now, let's bring in MSU political scientist Matt Grossman to talk about the 2020 presidential election. Matt, uh, as we count down uh, to Tuesday's general election, what do you think people should be looking for on Tuesday night as they uh, begin the vigil to see who won? Well, it is going to be a little bit uh, tough to, to figure out uh, what's going on because of the way that the votes are counted. So people should be prepared for different trends in different states. So, for example, Florida might count the uh, earlier mail-in ballots before the other ballots, and it might look like Biden is ahead. Pennsylvania might count the Election Day ballots before the uh, early uh, mail voting, meaning it might look like Trump is ahead. So don't take too many uh, initial signals from the first counts that, that come in, uh, because this year there's a huge difference between how people are voting and who they're voting for. And so the trends uh, uh, may look a little bit different on election night than they turn out. Uh, I heard on Friday that uh, in Texas, more people have already voted than voted in 2016. What, what does that mean? Uh, does that, who does that favor, do you think? Well, I don't know that it has a strong uh, effect on the, the horse race. Um, uh, that is, uh, Democrats are turning out as they say they are going to turn out early. We don't know yet whether Republicans will turn out on Election Day as they say that they plan to. Um, but we should stop and just recognize uh, the enormity of this turnout nationwide that we're going to see. Uh, we saw a huge turnout in the 2018 midterm election. And this was really just a, a huge historic shift. Um, in the 90s, we were doing all this research on why voter turnout had declined. People were saying it was television or it was declined in, in social engagement and civic uh, organizational membership. And none of that has changed. Uh, but now we have uh, very high levels of voter turnout and we're likely to see a record uh, near the that we haven't reached uh, since since the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and so I think we might want to learn from that, that it really is about the perceived stakes of the election. And that uh, one positive consequence of polarization is that more people see the differences between the candidates and show up to vote. The Republicans have uh, filed literally dozens of suits in states. There's talk that on election day, at some point, the president will say, I've won because it's election day and that's when we should stop counting votes. Uh, What is your read on what the Supreme Court has uh, ruled so far in cases around the country uh, and what that might tell us about where this could be headed if it does go to the Supreme Court? They don't seem afraid to intervene. Um, They have all of these uh, uh, last-minute decisions. Uh, Many of them revolve around this issue of 
whether uh, to count ballots that arrive after election day. Um, that starts from there being disputes within several states between the state legislature and the state executive branch or state courts. Uh, and um, unsurprisingly, the, the Supreme Court is, is largely um, intervening on behalf of uh, Republicans, but not always. That is, there are some cases where uh, they've uh, allowed ballots to be counted after uh, election day, in particular if the state Supreme Court has, has ruled that. Um, so uh, the, the bad news is if we come down to one or two very close states, uh, then we're going to see this litigated uh, for the next month following Election Day. Uh, so we, we have to hope that there's a clear verdict on Election Day um, uh, and that it doesn't depend on these, uh, these legal extensions. Uh, you're listening to WDBM-FM, The Impact, here uh, at Michigan State University, and we are talking, as we do every week, to um, MSU political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential uh, campaign. Uh, a few days ago, Matt, uh, everybody was saying it's coming down to Pennsylvania. The last couple of days, uh, all I'm hearing is Florida, Florida, Florida. Uh, what are you looking, what will you be looking for? Pennsylvania is still the most likely tipping point state. Um, it's, uh, you know, 30% uh, of the tipping point states in the 538 model, uh, very close to that in the economist model. And just to, so listeners understand, that doesn't mean that it is absolutely likely to be close. It just means if it comes down to a very close election, what is the state that is the most likely to put uh, Biden or Trump over the 270. So we're hearing a lot about, say, Texas and Georgia, but and those are likely to be close. The, the question is how likely those are to be the one state that lifts Biden or Trump over the 270 mark. And that's why um, the candidates aren't as focused on, on those states. Florida is a state where it looked like Biden was ahead by one or two or three points, um, and it still looks that way, but it's always a state that comes down uh, right close to 50-50. So it, it will be close. I think it is the most likely state to tell us on election day that Biden has won because uh, they count their votes fast and count their early votes at the same time. Um, but Pennsylvania is still the most likely state to be that tipping point, uh, the closest to uh, the, the national uh, electorate and um, the, the race to 270. And that indicates that uh, Trump still does have a likely advantage in the Electoral College relative to the popular vote. That is, he's winning by, uh, Biden is winning by eight or nine points nationally, and he's winning by five or six points in Pennsylvania, the most likely tipping point state. So it still does look like if, for some reason, the polls were off and Trump were to only lose by two or three points, that he might be likely to win Pennsylvania. What, what are the, uh, the chief closing arguments of both President Trump and Vice President Biden, and how do you think they're coming across? They are extremely varied. Um, I have access to sort of every um, ad that's newly run by the Biden or, or Trump campaign anywhere in the U.S., and there have been about 40 in the last two days, um, and they're all over the map. The crazy thing in Michigan, for example, is that uh, Donald Trump is running an ad in the Grand Rapids area that says 
be fearful of these looting criminals that Biden is going to let free. And then he's running an ad in the Detroit area saying Biden passed the crime bill and locked up too many criminals. So, you know, this is not a very consistent closing message. And that's a big contrast to uh, 2016, where uh, Trump really did, um, you know, have this closing message that united kind of his positions on immigration and trade with the broader uh, conservative message, uh, with uh, the message that Hillary Clinton was part of this global elite that didn't care about the middle class. And uh, none of that is really coming through uh, this time. And so it's possible that that, that message won't bring out uh, the, the same voters that it did last time. The Biden message is at this point mostly about voting. That is, most of the television advertising is geared toward uh, not changing people's views on who to vote for, but to make sure that people who don't like Trump actually turn out to vote. How much confidence do you have in the polls? Uh, the polls are, are likely to be uh, close to right on average, but that doesn't mean we should expect them to be right all over the place. So in 2018, for example, they were only off by about three points on average, and they, were, um, uh, they, they weren't off overall toward Democrats or toward Republicans. But we still saw, for example, the Indiana and Missouri Senate races, which were expected to lean Democratic and Florida, lean Democratic that ended up going to the Republicans. So um, there absolutely could be polling errors. And, and when we're talking about all the Senate races, we should expect some polling errors. Um, but in the presidential contest, it would really require a fairly massive polling error just in the right places for Donald Trump to win. Finally, I wanted to talk about undecided voters. Uh, there must be, there apparently are some still out there, but uh, is, is it too small to even matter at this point? Or do, will they really affect the race? Or is this simply Trump supporters who aren't declaring themselves publicly that could put him over the top? There are a lot fewer undecided voters than there there were last time. It's like three or four percent, and then there's still three or four percent of the voters who are saying they're going to support a third party candidate or someone else, uh, or not vote in the presidential race. Um, last time, uh, many of those voters did actually follow through and vote for a third party candidate or not vote in the presidential race. Um, at this point, it looks more like these are either likely non-voters <laughs> uh, or easily predicted based on their other vote choices. So if somebody tells you that they're they're a Republican, uh, they're voting Republican for Senate and the House, but they don't know who they're voting for for president. If you put that person on Trump's side and the opposite person on Biden's side, it looks like they're more likely to split 50-50 uh, rather than to move dramatically in uh, one direction or the other. So I would expect um, you know, the polls to be pretty close. Um, the other thing is that we're just seeing a whole lot more voters than 2016. So in addition to the undecided voters, there's the infrequent voters and whether those voters are going to turn out for the election at all. And th that could be just as important as uh, un un the undecideds between voting for Biden and Trump could be smaller than the undecideds in terms of whether to show up or not. And, uh, you know, we hear about a lot of ballots still being out that were requested, uh, uh, whether that means those people decided to vote in person or they're simply not going to vote. Uh, I guess we will find out on Tuesday. 
Well, we have, uh, we're, we have a huge number of early ballots. It's now looking like we will have 100 million people nationally vote before the election and you know, only 55 to 60 million vote on election day. So that is a huge ch uh, ch uh, change uh, from, from previous uh, elections. These ballots do often come in at the last minute. So I don't think it's a sign. I don't think we're going slower than normal, for example. There are normally a lot of ballots out at this time. But people do have trouble getting their ballots uh, in on time. And there are, in particular, there's a, a common problem with young voters who say that they want to vote, intend to vote, and then don't um, uh, get their, their ballots in. So we'll have to see if, if that happens. Uh, sorry, if you're, just, if you're still holding a ballot, it's better to drop it off in person at this point rather than to rely on the mail. Clearly, yes, it's past time to rely on the mail. Uh, Matt Grossman, uh, we will talk to you next week when we may know who is president, we may not, but uh, we know we'll be here together. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is City Pulse on the Air on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Lansing Mayor Virge Bernero has been mostly quiet about the performance of the Shore administration that succeeded him in 2018 after Bernero stepped down following 12 years in the job. But he was loud and clear in breaking his silence last week over the death of an inmate, Anthony Hulan, in the Lansing City Jail in April. We spoke to Bernero on Friday. Uh, Your Honor, uh, you have uh, put out a statement suggesting uh, that uh, either the public was misled or uh, there was a cover-up in this officer-involved death at the city jail. Would you uh, elaborate your thoughts? Well, it's deeply troubling, Burl. Um, I did not put that out lightly. Um, I've been agonizing over this for a couple days. Um, since I uh, saw in the press that um, this tragedy, and, and by the way, I should say, first of all, condolences uh, to the Hulan family um, on their loss. Uh, this was a tragic loss of life in the Lansing jail um, of Anthony Hulan uh, back in April. And uh, when I saw it back then, um, of course, you know, we felt terrible uh, for the family but it was presented as a medical emergency that took place in the jail um, where, which does happen. It, it happened on my watch uh, that there were medical emergencies, um, even that, that uh, I think even where we had a fatality, uh, but it was presented one way in April and we're finding out now only as a result of the lawsuit that in fact, this was a, an officer involved fatality. That, that in fact, uh, you know, there, there was real problems, that there was a scuffle, uh, there was uh, a struggle in jail, um, which apparently contributed mightily to uh, Mr. Yulon's death. And so, yes, I, I don't lightly use the term cover-up, but uh, we were told one thing there for six months, the public, the community, and, and I guess the family, has been told one story, and now uh, we find out that that's not at all the fa the, the case. And there there's been no uh, no accountability and no transparency on the part of the administration. Well, let me, let me uh, let's drill this, down, if I may. Let's drill down a little bit on that. Uh, I mean, you're going to need somebody else to drill down because I don't have the facts. But I'd be delighted to to explain my concern, and I I, I would think that you and all other uh, citizens, and especially investigative reporter types, must be interested to know 
what the hell happened here? Well, uh, let's uh, look at what we do know, uh, at least from Mayor Andy Shore's uh, perspective. He, uh, he told uh, the State Journal that uh, upon learning of Hulan's death, we put out a press release immediately. We had no information past what we sent on to the state police. You can't cover up something you don't know about. And Well, how did he not know? Uh, well, and so I want to ask you, uh, do you, find that, out a press all, release. Do you find that yeah. at all credible that the mayor would not know? Well, it's completely disingenuous. He says we rushed to put out a press release. Yes, you put out a press release that was misleading. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. You put out a press release with inaccurate information. And my point is, and there, therein lies the cover-up. You told us one thing, we now know the other. We now know that the, the death is a homicide. It was presented as a medical emergency resulting in death. It was presented in such a way that the average citizen is to believe that, that the police exercised a passive role. And in fact, in fact, the intervention on the police w w was presented that we tried to save his life. And, and maybe the city did try to save his life uh, after they contributed to the death. And so the, the press release they put out is misleading. And I guess the mayor, I guess he's acknowledging that he had something to do with that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you're gonna have to talk to him. But the point is we were lied to in April. It, it is at least the crime of omission. They, they neglected to mention the struggle. They neglected to mention the officers that were uh, restraining him. And, the, and then, then you have the, the report of the death. Th this is not the type of transparency and accountability that we are demanding in the year 2020 uh, at a time when police agencies are under scrutiny. He is not helping the reputation of the Lansing Police Department by covering this up. The way, look, the, the reality is bad things happen in policing. It is tough work, but you're not helping your cause one bit by trying to cover stuff up and hide them and delay. You've got to get the facts out and be transparent, transparent and hold people accountable. And I don't see where any of that has happened in the past. Uh, since this incident, and I don't see anybody taking responsibility and, and holding accountable and, and offering transparency now. Uh, we know what we saw on the video. Uh, do we know, though, that the mayor would have known what we have since seen on the video? Well, you know, that, that gets to the question of, you know, who knew what, when? What did the mayor know and when did he know it? Uh, that those are questions you're going to have to talk to him about. I, I just have to speak out because I have never seen in my time uh, as a resident in Lansing or as mayor of Lansing, I have never seen the city conduct itself this way. And this is no way for the city of Lansing to conduct itself uh, over an incident like this. Our police department enjoys a pretty darn good reputation. And I am generally speaking proud of the men and women of the Lansing Police Department who do a good job and work hard. When a tragic incident happens, it is vital that our leaders step forward and that they are transparent and clear. 
at least as transparent as possible. I understand that sometimes you can get into HIPAA and privacy, but a man is dead here. And it is time for transparency. It is time and it is past due. We've had six months of being misled. We need to understand why we were told uh, that this was a medical incident with no police involvement, why we were, were, we were misled, and, and who did that? And there needs to be accountability for that. All right, one, one more question on this uh, <clears throat> topic. Uh, you, you, have, you said yourself earlier that uh, you have rarely spoken out on anything since leaving uh, the mayor's office. You chose to speak out on this. You have also told uh, City Pulse a couple of months ago you were at least 50-50 going to run for mayor. Is there a connection between these uh, two developments? If, if there's any connection, Burl, it's that, that I waited a couple of days and agonized over it because I didn't want to uh, in any way have this politicized. But in the end, of course, I, I, I lean toward uh, stepping up and saying what has to be said. Uh, regardless of the politics. I, I, I'm no further, I have not made up my mind to run, uh, but I'm speaking out as a citizen and as a former mayor who knows better, okay? Because I can put myself in that role and say, what would I do? How should a mayor act? What should the city be doing? And this is wrong, the way this has been handled from, from start to finish, it is wrong. And the mayor is gonna have to take accountability. It has nothing to do with the election, you know, with either the federal election or the local election next year. This is about the way the city of Lansing need to conduct, needs to conduct itself. Uh, we, we have work to do uh, around the issue of policing, important work that needs to be done with the community. And uh, this type of obfuscation is not at all helpful. This kind of deception is not at all helpful. And he's gonna have to fess up and explain who knew what, when, why were we misled? And, and of course, apologize to the family what they have been through for this. All right. I apologize. You're listening to WDBMFM, The Impact, here uh, on uh, Sunday. And I am Burl Schwartz talking to former Lansing Mayor Virge Bernero. Virge, in the little time we got left, let's turn to uh, politics, uh, not the mayor's race, but the, the presidential. Uh, race. You uh, have experience running a statewide campaign when uh, you ran for governor as the Democratic candidate in 2012, uh, uh, 2010 rather. My how time flies. Uh, you, uh, what do you, what should, uh, what should be happening in Michigan? What should the be, Dem what should Democrats be doing right now to make sure that Michigan this time goes for uh, Biden? Well, let me say, I think that uh, the Biden campaign is doing a fantastic job. Um, and I say this not as an insider, but, you know, but uh, observing it and, and having been to an event or two, uh, they're taking nothing for granted. Uh, the Biden team uh, is, is a great team. I know some of them, um, they're, they're just doing a great job. And what I see his, his uh, appearances in the Midwest, it's difficult, of course, because of COVID. And we have uh, our candidate, uh, Joe Biden, is taking the COVID threat seriously, uh, which is good that he is. Um, so we can't do uh, the type of rallies that we grew up doing. Um, I went to one and, you know, it's a, almost a surreal experience. Uh, it's, it's hard to think of it as a rally, but uh, look, he's reaching out, he's getting his message out. 
um, in, in the Midwest, you know, in, in, um, among blue collar voters, I think he's doing what needs to be done. The, the, so I, there's nothing I would add. I think the Democrats this year, they're taking nothing for granted. Um, just, just doing a great job. He's got a great message. Um, and, he, and he's, a, you know, we've got a great team with Biden and Harris. Uh, the question is, will, will it be enough? I mean, when you look at the vote stealing that is taking place already between the voter suppression and now the ballot suppression, and the help that Trump is getting from this activist Supreme Court, an activist federal judiciary, both federal courts and the Supreme Court, already weighing in in the 11th hour to curtail ballot counting. It is scary indeed, Burl. It is like something you see in a fascist state. Uh, what they are doing in terms of suppressing the vote. He already suppressed the vote in a myriad of ways. We could talk for hours about that. And now ballot suppression, now actually trying to see to it that ballots will not be counted. Uh, yeah, that, that come in, I mean, obviously, even regardless of the postmark. So look, we're going to have to win decisively. Uh, people need to vote, vote, vote uh, early in person um, and, you know, hope that we pick off Florida or Texas uh, because I'm just, I am deeply concerned that, that he could actually steal one or, one or two of these states, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Pennsylvania. I, I don't, Michigan. I think uh, Jocelyn Benson also has done a phenomenal job, our Secretary of State. I feel Michigan is in really good shape. We, we can't take anything for granted. Uh, of course, vote, vote, vote. Um, but uh, anyway, that's, that's what I think the, the state of it is. Normally, we would say we're, we've, get, we've got this. We would feel confident. But with Trump, you can't take anything for granted because literally he's trying to steal the ballot like you would see a tin pot uh, dictator in another country. Uh, so, uh, but you're saying in Michigan, you think uh, Biden is going to do it. You're comfortable that the polls are accurate. I'm feeling very good about Michigan. Uh, the, the, I sense energy all over the state. Uh, I, I don't think there's this undercount. People talk about, oh, the secret, uh, the secret Trump voters. The Trump voters I know aren't very quiet. <laughs> so I'm not sure how many. I mean, there may be 1%, okay? One, maybe two that are quietly going to vote Trump. There's no 7% of Trump voters hiding secret, quiet Trump voters. I don't believe it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I believe the polls and I believe what I, what I see and feel. Uh, and again, look at the campaign that's being run. I mean, Hillary only lost by a little, a tiny bit in Michigan. And so when you look at the differences of the campaign that Biden has run, that Biden-Harris have run, the outreach that they've conducted, I mean, it's night and day. We, we, so, so I just have to believe. I don't, I don't see where Trump has picked up any undecided voters. And I, basically what we've done is motivate the base. I see our base much more motivated uh, and I don't know where those extra Trump voters would come from. So I think Michigan, yes, I'm feeling very good about Michigan. I think the worry is is Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and uh, maybe Minnesota because of the shenanigans that the, that Trump is playing. All right. Well, as we talk, uh, as this airs on Sunday morning, uh, we'll know unless uh, we'll begin to know in less than 48 hours. Virgil Bernero, thanks so much for being on City Pulse. My pleasure. Thanks, Pearl. You're listening to City Pulse on the air here on 88.9 WDBM-FM. I'm Burl Schwartz. Before we go out with Rich Tupica and his trip down Michigan's musical memory lane, I want to thank Skylar Ashley for producing this week's show. We'll return with a new program for you next week. For City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz. Thanks for listening.